This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hip dislocation from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Hip dislocations are rare, but there is a high incidence of associated injuries. The mechanism is usually young patients with a high-energy trauma. The hip joint is inherently stable due to the bony anatomy and soft tissue constraints including the labrum, the capsule, and the ligamentum teres. With respect to the classification of hip dislocations, the ones to know are the simple versus complex classification and the anatomic classification. With respect to the simple versus complex classification, a simple dislocation is described as a pure dislocation without an associated fracture. A complex dislocation is described as a dislocation associated with fracture of the acetabulum or the proximal femur. The anatomic classification is divided into posterior dislocations and anterior dislocations. Posterior dislocations make up 90% of hip dislocations. They occur with axial load on the femur, typically with the hip flexed and adducted. Axial load through a flexed knee typically occurs with a dashboard injury. The position of the hip determines associated acetabular injury. Increasing flexion and adduction favors a simple dislocation. Posterior dislocations are associated with osteonecrosis, posterior wall acetabular fractures, femoral head fractures, sciatic nerve injuries, and ipsilateral knee injuries in up to 25% of cases. An anterior dislocation is associated with femoral head impaction or chondral injury. This occurs with the hip in abduction and external rotation. Anterior dislocations can be inferior or obturator dislocations versus superior or pubic dislocations. Hip extension results in a superior or pubic dislocation, and clinically the hip appears in extension and external rotation. Flexion results in an inferior or obturator dislocation. Clinically the hip appears in flexion, abduction, and external rotation. As far as the presentation of hip dislocations, patients present with symptoms of acute pain, inability to bear weight, and or deformity. Physical exams should include the ATLS protocol as 95% of dislocations have associated injuries. Posterior dislocations, again, are the most common, making up 90% of hip dislocations. They're associated with posterior wall and anterior femoral head fractures. You may find that the hip and leg may be in slight flexion, adduction, and internal rotation. A detailed neurovascular exam must be done as 10 to 20% of cases have sciatic nerve injury. Make sure to examine the knee for associated injury or instability. A chest x-ray and ATLS workup should be done for an aortic injury. In the setting of an anterior dislocation, you may find the patient's hip and leg in flexion, abduction, and external rotation. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, a cross-table lateral, and make sure to obtain an AP, inlet-outlet, and Jude views after reduction. With respect to a cross-table lateral, this is used to differentiate between an anterior versus posterior dislocation. Make sure to scrutinize the femoral neck to rule out fracture prior to attempting close reduction. Findings on radiographs may include loss of congruence of the femoral head with the acetabulum, disruption of Shenton's line, which is the arc along the inferior femoral neck, plus the superior obturator foramen. In an anterior dislocation, you may see that the femoral head appears larger than the contralateral femoral head, and you may also find that the femoral head is medial or inferior to the acetabulum. In a posterior dislocation, you may find that the femoral head appears smaller than the contralateral femoral head. In addition, the femoral head superimposes the roof of the acetabulum, and there is decreased visualization of the lesser trochanter due to internal rotation of the femur. A CT scan helps to determine the direction of the dislocation, loose bodies, and associated fractures. 
It will also allow you to better differentiate between an anterior dislocation and a posterior dislocation. A post-reduction CT scan must be performed for all traumatic hip dislocations to look for femoral head fractures, loose bodies, and or acetabular fractures. Again, a post-reduction CT scan must be performed for all traumatic hip dislocations to look for femoral head fractures, loose bodies, and acetabular fractures. An MRI is controversial and routine use is not currently supported. However, it is useful to evaluate the labrum, cartilage, and femoral head vascularity. Treatment for hip dislocations can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves emergent close reduction within six hours, and this is indicated for acute anterior and posterior dislocations. Contraindications include ipsilateral displaced or non-displaced femoral neck fractures. Operative options include open reduction and or removal of incarcerated fragments, open reduction internal fixation, and arthroscopy. Open reduction and or removal of incarcerated fragments is indicated for an irreducible dislocation, radiographic evidence of an incarcerated fragment, delayed presentation, non-concentric reduction, and keep in mind that this should be performed on an urgent basis. An ORIF is indicated when there are associated fractures of the acetabulum, femoral head, and or femoral neck. Keep in mind that the femoral neck should be stabilized prior to reduction. And finally, with respect to arthroscopy, there are no current established indications for this option. However, there is potential for removal of intraarticular fragments, and it also can be useful to evaluate intraarticular injuries to the cartilage, capsule, and labrum. Now, let's go over some of these techniques in a bit more detail, specifically closed reduction and open reduction. Closed reduction should be performed with the patient supine and applying traction in line with the deformity regardless of the direction of the dislocation. You must have adequate sedation and muscular relaxation to perform the reduction. Make sure to assess hip stability after reduction. And again, remember that post-reduction CT is required to rule out femoral head fractures and or intraarticular loose bodies slash incarcerated fragments. Keep in mind that these may be present even with concentric reduction on plane films and in the setting of acetabular fractures. With respect to post-reduction protocols, for simple dislocations, follow with protected weight-bearing for four to six weeks. As far as open reductions, the approach with a posterior dislocation should be a posterior Coker-Langenbach approach, and with an anterior dislocation should be an anterior Smith-Peterson approach. With respect to the technique, you may place the patient in traction to reduce forces on the cartilage due to an incarcerated fragment or in the setting of an unstable dislocation. Keep in mind that repair of the labrum or other injuries should be done at the same time. Finally, let's talk about some complications, specifically post-traumatic arthritis, femoral head osteonecrosis, sciatic nerve injury, and recurrent dislocations. With respect to post-traumatic arthritis, this can occur in up to 20% for simple dislocations and is markedly increased for complex dislocations. With respect to femoral head osteonecrosis, this has a 5-40% to incidence and there is an increased risk with increased time to reduction. Sciatic nerve injury has an 8 to 20% incidence and is associated with longer time to reduction. And finally, recurrent dislocations occur in less than 2% of cases. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 35-year-old female presents to the trauma bay following a motor vehicle collision. She is GCS 15, hemodynamically stable, and complaining of right hip pain. On examination, her right lower extremity is flexed, abducted, and externally rotated. Any attempted passive range of motion of the right hip is painful. 
an AP pelvis radiograph taken during initial evaluation reveals a right hip dislocation. The hip appears abducted, externally rotated, and the femoral head is inferior to the acetabulum. Her injury is classified as, and the choices are 1, garden 4 femoral neck fracture, 2, pipkin 4 femoral head fracture, 3, posterior hip dislocation, 4, anterior pubic hip dislocation, and 5, anterior obturator hip dislocation. The correct answer to this question is 5, anterior obturator hip dislocation. So the clinical presentation and the description of the radiographic image are consistent with an anterior hip dislocation classified as an obturator or inferior dislocation. Hip dislocations occur following traumatic mechanisms. The position of the hip at the time of dislocation determines what direction it will dislocate. Flexed and adducted hips will typically dislocate posteriorly and appear clinically shortened and internally rotated. Posterior dislocations are more common than anterior. Hips that are abducted and externally rotated will typically dislocate anteriorly in two possible positions. An anterior pubic or superior dislocation is seen with the femoral head superior on the radiograph and clinically with the hip in extension and external rotation. An anterior obturator or inferior dislocation is seen with the femoral head inferior on the radiograph and with the hip clinically in flexion, abduction, and external rotation. Understanding the position of the hip is crucial to perform the correct reduction maneuvers. Pfeiffer et al. review imaging findings for anterior hip dislocations on plane radiography, CT, and MRI. They note that in an obturator dislocation, the femoral head can often be palpated within the femoral triangle, that is the inguinal ligament, adductor longus, and sartorius. They also note that while an obturator dislocation can be accurately diagnosed on an AP radiograph because the femoral head overlies the obturator foramen, a pubic dislocation can closely resemble a posterior dislocation and clinical exam or advanced imaging is needed to determine which it is. Moving on to the next question. A 26-year-old female presented to the emergency department with a left posterior hip dislocation after an awkward fall while intoxicated. She undergoes closed reduction and repeat radiographs shows a reduced left hip with no obvious fracture. After a normal physical examination, including ranging the hip from 0 to 90 degrees, which of the following options would be the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Femoral skeletal traction 2. CT scan 3. Hip spica cast application 4. Observation only and 5. Serial neurovascular examinations the correct answer to this question is 2, CT scan. So this patient has presented with a posterior left hip dislocation. The next most appropriate step would be performing a post-reduction CT scan to assess for joint reduction and congruity, associated fractures, or loose bodies. Hip dislocations occur most commonly in young patients with high-energy trauma. They are usually classified as simple or complex, with complex dislocations being those with associated fractures of the acetabulum or proximal femur. Urgent closed reduction should occur within six hours from the time of injury. Post-reduction CT scans must be performed for all traumatic hip dislocations to look for fractures or impacted areas of the femoral head or acetabulum, as well as incongruent reductions and free intraarticular joint fragments. Calkins et al. looked at measurements of the posterior acetabulum on CT scans, otherwise known as the acetabular fracture index, after hip dislocations to evaluate for hip stability. Hips were found to be unstable if less than 34% of the remaining posterior acetabulum was present after dislocation. Hips with greater than 55% were stable. 
in between 34 and 55 percent were indeterminate. Moed et al. found that posterior wall fractures involving less than 20 percent of the posterior wall were considered stable. Fractures involving more than 40 to 50 percent were unstable, leaving a wide range of posterior wall fractures classified as indeterminate. Moving on to the next question. A 10-year-old girl is seen in the emergency department after being involved in a motor vehicle accident. She has right hip pain and is unable to bear weight. She has no neurovascular deficits and no other injuries. Radiographs reveal a posterior dislocation of the right hip without apparent fracture. The acetabulum appears to be developing normally. What is the best course of treatment? And the choices are 1. Open reduction under general anesthesia. 2. Closed reduction under general anesthesia with fluoroscopy. 3. Closed reduction under general anesthesia without fluoroscopy. 4. Conscious sedation in the emergency department and closed reduction with fluoroscopy. And 5. Conscious sedation in the emergency department and closed reduction without fluoroscopy. The correct answer to this question is 2. Closed reduction under general anesthesia with fluoroscopy. So hip dislocation in the pediatric population is a rare event. However, prompt recognition and rapid care for this injury is imperative to avoid future hip problems, including osteonecrosis of the femoral head, which is a devastating problem for a pediatric patient. Reduction maneuvers can create violent impact between the posterior wall of the intact acetabulum and the femoral head, resulting in shearing of the proximal femoral physis and displacement of the epiphysis from the remainder of the femoral head in skeletally immature patients. Therefore, deep sedation with good muscle relaxation, such as that achieved with general anesthetic, is recommended. Reduction is best accomplished with fluoroscopy for a number of reasons, including assessment of concentricity of the hip joint after reduction and to detect any catastrophic femoral head physeal separation that occurs during the reduction maneuver. Sedation in the emergency department is often insufficient to achieve acceptable muscle relaxation for the patient. Open reduction is only indicated if closed reduction fails completely or if the hip is not concentric after an apparently successful closed reduction. And moving on to the final question. A 30-year-old driver is involved in a motor vehicle collision and sustains a right hip dislocation. What is the most likely concomitant injury? And the choices are 1. Right knee meniscus tear, 2. Left knee ACL tear, 3. Subdural hematoma, 4. Right ankle fracture dislocation, and 5. Lumbar burst fracture. The correct answer to this question is 1. Right knee meniscus tear. So traumatic hip dislocation results from the dissipation of a large amount of energy about the hip joint. Clinically, these forces often are first transmitted through the knee and route to the hip. It is therefore logical to look for coexistent ipsilateral knee injury in patients with a traumatic hip dislocation. Schmidt et al. prospectively evaluated the ipsilateral knee of all patients who had a traumatic hip dislocation and found that 93% had abnormalities on MRI of the knee with effusion in 37% of cases, bone bruise in 33% of cases, and meniscal tear in 30% of cases being the most common findings. They suggest liberal use of MRI to the ipsilateral knee if injury is suspected. That's all for this review about hip dislocation. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.